Good morning to you, and uh, it's nice to, to come and, and share the word with you. It's the first time I've done it in a, at 9.30, so it's quite exciting, um, and it's, 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 I lo- it's really full. I like it. It's, it's, it's good to see everyone here. It's good to see people who are guests, uh, people returning after a while. My boy Simon at the back, good to see you, Simon. You all right? Yeah. Um, and Lee, good to see you, Lee. Um, and, and actually, I was, as, just as we've been worshipping... Um, I was thinking about what I was going to be saying today, and uh, and so quite normally when I preach, I like to do a, like a, a narrative uh, sort of you know look at a story and sort of get into that story and unpack it because um, that's kind of my natural disposition. I love to tell stories, and I was thinking actually, I think I learned a lot of that from Lee. Um, it's, it's good that you're here, Lee. But today I'm not going to be telling stories. So I can't I can't share that skill to you that, that maybe I learned from you over the years. But today we're going to be looking at James and. I'll give you a little bit of a sort of background to James, who he was and, and some of the themes in the book first, and then we'll get stuck into uh, what we're going to look at today. So James, it's, it's widely agreed that, that James uh, in the New Testament is Jesus' brother. Um, and James actually wasn't a believer in Jesus until uh, after the resurrection uh, of Jesus. So we can look and see that in John 7, 5. It says there that, his brothers didn't believe in him. You don't have to skip to these. I'm just going to go through these real quick. Um, and then we see that Jesus actually appears to, to James uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, uh, post-resurrection. And then through the New Testament, we see that actually James is a well-respected and good leader, a kind of prominent leader in, in the early church. Um, and you can see that if you, if you look in Acts 12, 17, you see that Peter singles James out. Um, as somebody who's to be informed about uh, all the stuff that just happened to Peter in his miraculous escape from prison. Um, in Galatians 2 verse 9, uh, you see that Paul calls James one of the pillars of the church. Um, and in Acts 15, uh, 13 to 22, um, you see there that actually James gives the closing speech or talk or whatever you want to call it at the Jerusalem Council. So he was quite a prominent guy in the early church, uh, a leader. Um, and so what he said was, was carried with great renown. And, and so that was James, Jesus' brother. And I like this. He's a tradesman, probably. Because, because he, yeah, we, <laughs> me and Mike, picking up the tradesman. Um, being Jesus' brother, Jesus, group, carpentry family. So you could argue he was probably into the trade at some point in his life. Anyway, probably knew how to put a bookshelf together. Um, and the, <laughs> not that, that makes you a tradesman. Uh, with Ikea, everyone's a tradesman now. Um, <laughs> It's, uh, the feel of the book, uh, I reckon you can get quite a lot of the feel for the book if you just read uh, James 1.1. 1, 1. Um, and James introduces the book, and actually we learn who he's, who he's writing to as well. In James 1.1 1, 1 it says, uh, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes and dispersions, greetings. Um, it's quite a to-the-point introduction. It's not a very long introduction about himself, uh, nor what he's about, you know, he kind of tells you what he's about straight away, you know, servant of the Lord and Jesus Christ. It's kind of simple, to the point, um, and that is kind of the feel of James in general. The whole letter has a kind of, almost like an ab- ab- abrupt sort of-ness to it, and as you read through it, well, as you, as you start there, we see that he's, he's speaking actually to the Jewish be- uh, believers um, as he greets them. And it kind of gives us a little idea about when this letter was written as well, um, in that he doesn't mention the Jerusalem Council, he doesn't mention anything like that. So 
it's, it's widely believed that this is probably one of the first letters that is written in the New Testament as well. Um, and it has a kind of Old Testament Proverbs feel about it. Um, a little bit like a Jesus Sermon on the Mount feel about it, if you read through it. Um, other letters, epistles in the New Testament can seem a little bit more like symphonies. So they kind of weave truth together with order and flow. Uh, the, when I read James, the, the, the image that came to mind in terms of how I would describe uh, the letter that James writes is more like a boxer. And so he makes no apologies from sort of jumping from topic to topic. And, and often is quite abrupt and quite straightforward what he says. And, and I think with boxers, when they've got a good jab, that's kind of like the book of James, is that he, he kind of hits you with a truth and then skips to another one. And so you can kind of get slapped in the face with this, oh, we're looking at, you know, temptation and persecution, bang. And so you then have to kind of shake it off a bit, think about it, what is James saying there? And then all of a sudden, bang, hit you with another subject. As he goes through the book, it's sort of like subject after subject. Uh, I love it. Um, it's, it's, I really enjoy reading the book. It's not that easy a book to read as a Westerner. Uh, a, a lot of the stuff that he talks about and, and covers can be quite difficult to get into and understand uh, within our culture. But when you do take time and kind of shake off the, the jab in the face that he throws at you, it's, it's full of good stuff. Um, I'd love to go through the whole book with you this morning, uh, but I definitely don't have time for that. Uh, we've got about half an hour, so that'd be, that'd be impressive. Um, so we're going to flip right to the end, James 5, uh, verse 13 to 18. So we'll read that and then get stuck into it. James 5, verse 13 to 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. It's not doesn't take much to work out that these verses are talking about prayer. Um, and so that's what we're going to be looking at today. But we're going to be looking at what is James saying about prayer. Um, and we're going to look at probably three or four different examples of prayer that we find in those verses. Um, and then look at the example that James uses to explain what sort of power we can expect when we pray. And so we'll go through the different types of prayer first. Um, now, I say three or four because one of them you could argue, is that really prayer or not? But we'll look at that when we get to it. But the first one that we come across in these verses is praying on your own. And it says, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. The word suffering here is quite a broad word. It's, it's not just about one thing. It's not just about healing. It's not just about persecution. It kind of encompasses trouble. Anything that would cause pain, anything that would cause distress, suffering in general. So it's quite a broad term. And it says there, if anyone is suffering, let him pray. And this doesn't mean that you can, when you're suffering or you find yourself in trouble, that you just only pray on your own. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but actually, I feel that the, 
the encouragement here, the, the exhortation here is when we come across trouble, suffering, persecution, illness, what's our gut reaction? Where do we turn first? And quite often when we do find ourselves in trouble or illness or strife or whatever those terms in suffering can mean, our immediate reaction can be to turn to something else other than God, to turn to our friends and get on Facebook, ah, you know, this has happened, or to go to the hospital. Sometimes that's appropriate, but, you know, if you've got a cold, it's like, oh, get the Beecham's out, you know. Where do we turn first when we hit suffering? And I believe that the exhortation here is let's, let's turn to God first. If anyone is suffering, pray. It's like a, it's a simple answer. I know it's, it's reasonably there. But quite often we don't do that. And I believe that as we do that, as we believe and practice turning to God first in all circumstances, we open ourselves up for much more of a miraculous lifestyle <laughs> because we're trusting in him, his power, his grace, his love, rather than how can I fix this? Where can I go to get that dealt with? What has the world got to offer that can help me with my problems? Now, as I said, you know, if you are in trouble, of course, we're going to get in touch with each other, pray for each other and so on. But what's your gut reaction? And as we learn that, actually, probably as believers, there are going to be times where we do find ourselves on our own in trouble. And if we're so used to kind of turning to other sources for relief, when those times come, it can be like, ah. But actually, if we train ourselves now, actually, in all things, whatever comes, my gut reaction is to turn to God because he's trustworthy. So that's the first type of praying we come across is praying on your own, turning to God first. Second type is praising. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So this is arguably, you could argue whether this is praying or not. Um, it's right there in the text amongst stuff talking about prayer. So it's, it's definitely there to help us pray or to encourage us to pray or a type of praying. But don't get really caught up on whether it's prayer or not. It's there. And I would argue that praise is an absolute necessity in a prayer life. And friends, again, I love these questions. They're very short with short answers. And, you know, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. It's okay to be cheerful. Let me just put that out there. You know, you can smile at me now if you want. It's okay to be cheerful. It's okay to be happy, to be joyful. Quite often as British people, we think that we're doing something wrong if we're happy. And quite often, maybe in a worship time at church, you're waiting for the two happy songs that we do to finish so we can really get into the praise, you know, where we can, you know, sort of praise. But actually, it's biblical to be cheerful. Ooh, I don't know if that settles right. It's okay to dance. Ooh. <laughs> I'm pushing the boundary here for the Westerners. It's okay to, to be cheerful. And in fact, if you are cheerful, we're encouraging, sing praise. Don't hold it back. And if you're thinking, well, I don't really have much to be cheerful about. Well, I would argue with you, yes, you do. <laughs> if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you have a lot to be cheerful about. We've just been singing about the fact that we have an eternal destiny in heaven. I would argue that is like better than winning the lottery, 
better than getting the car you've ever dreamed of, better than anything you can imagine on this earth, is the fact that we're going to have eternity with God forever in perfection. Amen? That is something to be cheerful about. That is something to be excited about. So if you're struggling to be cheerful, and sometimes, yeah, life is hard and we suffer. And so you might not feel cheerful, we do. But actually, there is always, always access to joy in God, in the truth, in what Jesus has done for us. So I would say, do not give up in your prayer lives the privilege and necessity of being in the presence of God, of lifting your hands in worship to your awesome, mighty King, because it will feed your soul. And when we get together to pray, it's kind of what happens anyway, isn't it? And house groups, when we come to pray on a Friday, we sing praise because it feeds your soul because of who our God is. When you pray in your house groups, I don't know about you, but you can't help but get to praise. You can't just stick to a list of topics to pray about. There has to be an exhortation, something coming out of you, a praise to God. It is a key necessity in your prayer life. So that's the second thing that we come across. Third thing we come across in terms of prayer would be prayer from elders. And so this is, this is like where the text gets a little bit interesting. Um, and I've really enjoyed actually looking at it um, and trying to ponder what these things means. But this is what it says. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders. Um, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. So there's quite a lot of stuff in there. Um, and just before I explain what I think the two main sort of points in there are, uh, it's not, it's not a, this is not an invitation for prayer and oil anointing if you've got a cold. Just like, I'm ill, call the elders, you know, sort of hotline. Um, if you look, if you look at the text itself, you can see actually how it's worded. It says, pray over and raised up. And so you can kind of get from that that probably the person who's being talked about there, is in a position where they are probably not able to get to church or probably not able to get to house group or just pretty poorly. Um, now, again, I'm not writing a rule book. You know, if you want to ask the elders to come pray for you, you go for it. But the text here kind of indicates that it is somebody who is probably laid up. In saying that, I believe that the kind of thrust of these, these words here in these verses are... Some to us, the church, the congregation, and some to the elders, or elder represented today. But I'll speak, Rich, half of this is for you. Rich is our other elder, just in case you didn't know. So we have two, which is good, which is also biblical. We had one for a while, not so biblical. Now we've got two, we can actually say, yes, elders can come. So, woo, we're more biblical. Um, so that's why I waited to preach, you know, for all this time, Dan. I wanted to share this. <laughs> anyway, um, so firstly, to the congregation, what we find out here is not necessarily when do we call the elders tick list, but it's more how do you view the elders of the church? Why is this there? Why are they even talking about asking the elders to come and pray for you? It can seem a bit strange. And why is it talking about our sins being forgiven when they've come to pray for us for healing? That's a bit weird. I, I would say that actually it's an encouragement 
to how we view our elders. How do we see them? Do we see them as people who've got a job in church to kind of make sure that things happen, that their building is open, that, you know, meetings happen and so on? Are they just a functional role? Is it a job title? Or actually, is it what I believe the Bible teaches is that actually they are our spiritual fathers. They're our shepherds. They're men of God who have been called to minister to the body. How do we view our elders? And I believe that these verses make so much more sense when you view elders as spiritual fathers. Because then it doesn't become about when you shouldn't or shouldn't call for the elders. It becomes about, of course, I'm going to call for the elders. They're my spiritual fathers. Who else would I want around me when I'm laid up, when I'm ill, when I'm suffering, whatever? These guys are appointed by God to minister to us. The sheep, the shepherd's sheep sort of picture is there. It should be a no-brainer. So my encouragement from these verses for us is not to get caught up in, okay, now I think I'm ill enough for oil anointing or for the elders to come round. But let's view these scriptures in the light that we have spiritual fathers who are anointed by God in whom we can call upon, ask for ministry from. And this is, I'll I'll say this with as much humility as I can. I'm not an elder um, and I wouldn't pretend to know what to tell elders to do. Um, Dan has much more knowledge in terms of what his role is, but I believe that these scriptures also bring an encouragement and a challenge to elders. And so I'll bring that and hopefully (laughs) it makes sense and I'm not overstepping the mark. Um, For elders, I believe that that these verses, as I said earlier, it's, it's quite interesting because this is probably one of the first letters written in the New Testament. And quite often we can jump to other bits in scripture, uh, Acts 20 and so on, where, where we see uh, sort of clear instructions of what overseers or elders of a church, their function might be. There are much more famous verses in terms of, you know, Timothy and all that, where we learn, okay, this is what an elder does. But this is actually some of the first teaching on the role of an elder. And my observation of these scriptures is that there's an expectancy from the sheep, us, from the congregation that our elders minister in power. And I got, I got from this that actually, out of everyone, our elders will be men who are chasing after spiritual gifts more fervently, with more passion and zeal than the rest of us. Because they have been given this role as men of God to tend the sheep. They've got responsibility to look after us. And so I believe that these scriptures are actually quite a a good challenge to elders. Are you going after the things of God? Are you seeking after spiritual gifts because you know that they're a necessity for you to be able to minister to the people of God? And so that would be my encouragement to you, Dan, and and encouragement to Rich. Hope I haven't overstepped the boundaries. Um, And the the final uh, type of prayer that we come across uh, is prayer for each other. And or prayer in general, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is where 
prayer kind of gets blown wide open in terms of the when, where, how, who, whatever. <laughs> you can't really make a rule on this. It's, it's pray for each other. That could mean any number of things. It could mean that on your own, you think of other people in church, pray for them. It could mean that you pray for each other in one-on-one with somebody and you, you pray for them. Could mean big group. Could mean a lot of things. It's, it's about praying for each other. Um, so it's, it kind of blows the, uh, the, you know, if you're trying to make a list of how to pray, by the way, don't do that. <laughs> These are just encouragements to pray in lots of different ways. Um, but the emphasis here, again, I believe in these verses, is, is that family aspect of church, that body aspect of church. Because again, it mentions some stuff that is reasonably uncomfortable to hear. You know, for, for us today, maybe, you know, confess your sins to one another. Ugh. That can feel a bit uncomfortable. What, what does that mean? And I would argue again that James here isn't, isn't trying to bring something completely new and weird to the church, that they would do that. I think James is mentioning, just like he mentioned with how the elders would, would function within their role, he's mentioning something that I believe he would expect to see in the church. Why? Because we're family. Why would I confess my sin to anybody else? You know, I've got a reputation to uphold. You know, I've got to keep face. I've got to make sure that people know I'm the man. You know, no. Actually, we're a family. What a family means is that we're transparent with each other. That we know what's happening in each other's lives. That we're not ashamed to confess things that we're, sins that we've done or things that we're struggling with to each other. Might feel a little bit uncomfortable. But actually, it's biblical. And it's what James is getting at here in terms of our prayer lives. You know, we're going to be a family. And Dan preached last week. And he looked at um, this, this man who'd been set free uh, from a lot of demonic oppression. You know, a legion of demons. He had some serious issues going on. And we prayed, didn't we, afterwards about being set free and coming forward. And I just want to, I just, I was so full of joy when people were responding to that message, because actually there was a sense here amongst us. You know what? I'm not ashamed of anything among my family. I'm not ashamed to ask for help, to say I'm struggling, to say there's something I need prayer for. I'm going to come forward and get prayed for, because it's better that I get free. And this is what this is about. It's about pursuing an an ongoing pursuit of holiness and freedom. An ongoing pursuit. So for... For us, last week was really great. It was great to respond to that. That is just the start. Because those things you've responded to, maybe you've been set free from it in an instant. Maybe. And praise God. But maybe you're going to have a battle on your hands. And you're going to have to keep fighting to be free. Because temptation is still going to come. Trial is still going to come. And so we need to ongoingly, I believe this is what the verse is saying, ongoingly confess our sin to one another. And pray for one another. It is so key. Pray for each other that we might pursue holiness and freedom. Did you know that you can respond every single meeting to be more free? Let me just put that out there. There is permission. No one's saying you're only allowed to respond once a month or every now and then. You can respond every time to the word of God. 
Why? Because we are being made more like Christ every day. Because there's always stuff that God is challenging us and changing us on. Because there's always temptation. Because there's always trial. Because there's always persecution. Because there's always things that are going to be going on that we need prayer from each other. We need encouraging each other. And we need to be more free. And the Bible says we can be more free. That's amazing, right? Until we die... We can keep getting more free from stuff. Being made more like Jesus every day. So my encouragement there, pray for each other and expect miracles to happen as well. You know, it's not just, this isn't just counseling. We're not just counseling each other. I hate to think that it would be like that. This is different. This is body ministry. This is powerful. This is the power of God at work that you might be healed as well. Miracles taking place. Let's expect that when we minister to one another. And so those are the different types of prayer that we find in those verses. Um, and then finally, James gives us a, a story. Yes. Narrative. Woo-hoo. So <laughs> back in the comfort zone. Um, James, uh, he, he reminds us uh, about Elijah. And it says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is James's example, when he's just talked about all these different types of prayer, ways to pray. This is his example of the power that can be expected when we pray. Now, that's a pretty high bar. <laughs> you know, you're looking at an incredible miracle there that happened. It stopped raining for three years because someone prayed. And it started raining again because someone prayed. And for a few of us, we can get stuck in this, well, it's just, for you know, he was prophet. He was kind of big guy, anointed by God. He, you know, that was Old Testament stuff. You know, guys like him don't exist anymore. It was a different time. Well, that's not what James is saying. He's saying the prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That means you. That means me. And I'm trying to look at everyone at this moment because no one is excluded from that statement. If you're in Christ, that's you. And you say, hang on a minute, righteous person. Yeah, that means if you're in Christ. If you are a Christian, if you have accepted what Jesus has done, he has made you righteous. Therefore, you fall in that category of the prayer of a righteous person. It is not because you have attained righteousness. You have not worked yourself up to be good enough, to be confident enough, to be able to pray like this. It is because Jesus has made you righteous. And in the truth of being made righteous, we can stand and pray prayers like that and believe God will do it. you believe that? It's, it's sometimes difficult to get our heads around. I'm constantly trying to get my head around the fact that I've been made righteous. Because I see all my flaws. <laughs> and the fact that I'm not, not always a very good person. But that doesn't mean anything in regards to these scriptures. What I think I good, I'm good or bad at means nothing, is how Jesus looks at me. 
It's how God views me. He views me as righteous and he invites me to pray. He invites me to pray. And so in doing that, he makes me more like Christ. In doing that, we can believe for great things. I want to round up today just by concluding with a few things. And faith is key. (laughs) We're called to have faith, to believe these things are true, and to go after it with all our hearts. In the middle of those scriptures there, it talks about the prayer of faith. And I haven't really got time to go into exactly all about what that means. It's a really big subject. And, but the encouragement is when we pray, let's pray in faith because we believe this to be true. And we've just moved into being three congregations as a church. Um, and the reason we've done that is we've, we've responded in faith to what we believe God has been calling us to do as a church. The, the leaders have taken that step and they said, this is what we believe God is saying. Let's go for it. And our heart is that in doing that, we might see more people saved, that we might grow as a church and have more impact as a church in this city, in different ways, lots of different ways. We don't know exactly what all those ways are going to be. We'll see what happens. I would argue that at this time is a time to really get stuck into prayer. We've done the move. Yeah, we've done the Becoming Three Congregations. Let's not then settle back and fall into a routine. I believe now is the time to be right on the front foot in prayer, right on the front foot in seeking God, in ministering, ministering to one another, in going after God, in, in, in having our gut reaction being to turn to God first, in praying for each other and confessing our sins to each other, in all of these areas that we are being on the front foot so that we can see the kingdom of God advance in our city. It's what we want, isn't it? We want to see people saved. We want to see the glory of God proclaimed across this city. And I would argue that prayer is an absolute necessity. An absolute necessity. When we meet on a Friday evening, be there. Let me encourage you, be there. It is, it's a great time where we as a church get together and call on God for lots of different things that we're doing as a church, but we call on God for our city, for our nation. And, you know, I don't know how many people are in each congregation, but at a prayer meeting, we probably have around about 50 people turn up. I would say, wouldn't it be amazing if as a church we got behind prayer and these prayer meetings just got more and more full? Not because it's we need more people there to pray so God does stuff. No, it's because we've got hold of the fact that just like Elisha, we can pray for great things and they'll happen. When we are seeking God's will, when we are seeking his face, asking him, Lord, what is it you want to do in this city? And suddenly something rises up amongst us and we begin to pray in faith for these things. We can believe, yes, Lord, you're going to do that. And we stand in it and it may take weeks. It may take months. It may take years of prayer, but let's go for it. I mean, what else are we going to (laughs) do other than seek God for this city? It's where it's at. And as we do that, I I believe God's going to pour out. We've had words shared with us this morning, you know. Let's believe that stuff. As we approach God more, he fills us with his love. We get a greater understanding. It kind of comes out of our hands and it comes out of our mouth. If you want to 
get some practical examples about how to go for it in terms of practical stuff, what to do, read the rest of the book of James. It's a very practical book. It's, it, it says, you know, actually, let's go and do some stuff. But that gets produced in you through understanding who God is, what God has done for you, what he has won you into, and what the kingdom of God is all about. The more we seek him, the more we believe in his scriptures, the more we allow that to dwell in our hearts and fill us richly, it will cause us to have action because our faith, the things we're believing, will produce fruit in action. It will happen. We don't have to force things. We don't have to just do things for the sake of doing things. God wants to stir things in our hearts. Are you seeking God to allow him to stir things in your heart that you might do in this city, that you might reach out to your neighbor? that you might believe to pray for the sick and see them healed, step out in spiritual gifts, serve amongst us here as a church in different ways. This is what we're called to do. And we're going to end today by praying. (laughs) Point of the sermon. Um, And I just want to encourage you, as we pray, I'm just going to invite you to stand. And I'm going to just, I'm just going to pray a prayer that is, like we were hearing, you know, we want to be abandoned to God, don't we? I mean, there's no better thing There is no greater comfort than to be abandoned to the almighty God of everything. And I want to invite you not just to pray a, if you want to do it to me, Lord, then do it to me. But a, Lord, I want to go after your kingdom. Lord, let your will be done in my life. It's a different way of praying. And then we'll see what happens. And there may be opportunity for us to pray for one another, just as we've been encouraging the scriptures. But first, if you want to stand... see God. Yeah. So I just want to invite you, if you, if you have heard some of the words that are shared this morning and you've heard some of the ramble that I've talked and, and God is challenging you um, to give him more of yourself, to say, Lord, I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm game with this. I'm going for this. This is what you've put me here for. I'm in your church then I'm just going to pray and if you want to respond, that would be great. Lord, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for what you've done for us. Lord Jesus, you've made me righteous. Lord, you've made me right before God. Lord, no longer having to cower in the shadows in my sin, but Lord, you have clothed me with righteousness that I might come into your presence freely, without guilt, without condemnation. That is what you've done for me, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Lord, you invite me and you invite us as a church to take part and be part of your kingdom advancing in the earth. Lord God, this is about what we do individually. It's about what we do as a church. It's about what we do in this nation. It's about what you do in the nations. Lord, would you fill us with the Spirit? Lord, that we might say, Lord, I'm in for your kingdom. Lord, I'm all in for your purposes. Lord, I want to know your will for my life. Lord, I relinquish my own self-control. I give it to you, Lord. There is no better place to be than trusting the one who is ultimately the only one we can trust the Lord God Almighty. Lord, we turn to you first.
Lord, anything we're facing, we turn to you first. Lord, I pray for this church. Would we be a church that it is not weird for us to confess sins to one another? It's not weird to invite the elders around to pray for us. It's not weird for the elders to be demonstrating power amongst us. Lord, because this is your body, this is your family, this is your people, Lord. And you're here by your presence. What a joy, what a privilege. So Lord, we just want to say, we're all in. We want to go for your kingdom, Lord. Whatever you want to do in this city, would you do it? In Jesus' name.